As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing inflation. Specifically, I will provide you a guide on how to manage inflation risk or a loss of purchasing power. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings help me to grow the podcast audience and find more people in the audience. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please like and subscribe so that you can continue to get more investing content. Thank you for your support. So what is inflation? What you'll find is that inflation has many definitions depending upon your source and audience. However, only one definition matters for investors. For investors, inflation is the loss of purchasing power of your money over time. Basically, if you have $100 today and inflation's running at 2%, then even though you might have $100 in a year, that $100 is only going to buy you $98 worth of stuff. $98 worth of stuff at today's prices. So it's saying that prices are basically going up at around 2% a year when you say that inflation is going up at about 2% a year. But it means you're losing 2% of your purchasing power each and every year. Well, as investors, this is a problem because one of the things that you're doing as investors is you're investing your money. And By investing your money, you're not using it for purchases today, which means that there's inflation risk for you and your portfolio. Because by not buying stuff today, 
you're going to need more money tomorrow to buy the same amount of things. For instance, hamburgers. Warren Buffett loves the description of hamburgers. And so if you had $100 today, maybe that buys you 20 hamburgers. Or if you're shopping at um, a McDonald's or something, maybe that buys you 100 hamburgers. Well, if you go to McDonald's next year, your $100 is only going to buy you, let's say, 98 hamburgers. And so you've lost the ability to buy and consume two hamburgers. So your investments need to provide you with additional money in order to still buy those two hamburgers and hopefully buy more. Because your goal is by investing your money next year, you will be able to buy 103 hamburgers or 105 hamburgers instead of just buying 100. So your number one inflation risk as an investor, and this is the first of three key aspects to inflation that I want to discuss today, is that the simple presence of inflation requires an investor to profitably invest their money at a rate of return higher than inflation. Therefore, inflation risk on the one hand can mean that investors have a constant need to invest Otherwise, their money loses value. So you're not simply trying to invest to grow your money. You're also investing simply to maintain the same point in time. There's a key metaphor for this in there's a key metaphor for this in Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is running around and trying to keep up with the queen and the queen is running from her and the whole concept of it is that she has to keep running running faster and faster to keep up and that's the idea of what inflation forces you to do you need to constantly be creating more money more money all the time in order simply to still have the same goods and services that you do today you're constantly fighting this treadmill and battle in order simply to maintain where you are, which means not only are you trying to take that extra step, but you must invest as an investor if you're not spending your money or it's going to lose its value over time. That's the first key aspect. You have to invest or your money will lose value over time. The second key aspect we need to discuss of inflation risk is that inflation is a critical input to many theoretical investment pricing models. Whether explicitly or implicitly, investors around the world are making assumptions about future inflation when choosing which investments to make. So what does that mean? That means that whether you know it or not, your investments are based around some assumption about what inflation is going to be over the next 10, 20, 30 years. You might be assuming that there is no inflation. So that'd be a 0% inflation rate. You might be assuming that inflation is 2%, or you might assume that inflation is 4%, or you might assume that inflation is 10%. You know, this is as a worldwide audience. So for some of you, one of those numbers is going to make more sense than the other. Some of you might be assuming deflation, that you're not losing purchasing power over time, but you're actually gaining purchasing power. Now, that's exceedingly rare. Um, but for instance, if you make all of your purchases, you have all of your savings in a resource like gold, then presumably over hundreds and hundreds of years, the purchasing power of your gold is going to go up over time relative to money. And so 
as this purchasing power is lost, you can still maintain your same purchasing power. But for most of us, the average person, um, basically anybody, your expectation is likely that there will be inflation and you will lose purchasing power over time. But you can't simply assume that inflation will take place in the future. The percentage inflation that you assume has an incredible impact on your investments because inflation is simply one part of the pricing formula for stocks and bonds. You see, when people price a bond, let's make it very simple, and they say, I require a 6% return from my bond. That 6% is not simply 6% on its own. It's actually 6% broken up into different parts. There's going to be an inflation component. That's the first component. There's going to be um, a risk premium component. That's the component where you need to grow your earnings over time. You want to grow your investment by a certain amount over time. And there's going to be a risk a pure risk component based upon whatever the bond might be. So if you're investing in, and that's the default risk component. So you have these three key components. You're having the inflation risk, the default risk, and the premium that you want to earn above those two risks when you're buying your bond. And so let's say they're each 2%. You're assuming 2% inflation. You're assuming 2% chance of default, and you're assuming a 2% gain on your investment. So that 6% return, you're only really expecting a 2% annual gain. So what does that mean? Well, if you've assumed a 2% inflation return, and inflation rises to 4%, well, now you've wiped out your 2% premium. So now the stock that you, the bond that you bought seeking a 6% return has dropped significantly in value because it's completely wiped out the premium that you were seeking because now you have 4% inflation, 2% chance of default, and 0% on your premium. Which means that as inflation expectations change and as future inflation doesn't match the expected inflation built into the price of securities, and this can include both bonds and stocks, Those the price of those bonds and stocks will change, and they could change substantially. Because, for instance, if inflation were to rise not from 2% to 4%, but from 2% to 6%, or 2% to 10%, well, now that 6% yield is insufficient to provide the new investor, the person buying it today, with any incentive to purchase that bond. No investor is going to buy a 6% yielding bond when inflation is running at 10% at whatever the par value is. And the par value is the amount that you get back at the end. So let's say you know the bonds originally purchased for $1,000, and it pays a 6% yield, that means every year it's paying out $60. And at the end of, let's say, the 10-year period, you're paid back $1,000 plus the $60 premium of interest for that year. Well, in order to maintain that 6% interest or in order to adapt for 
the 10% inflation rate. Well, if you still have the 2% risk in the bond defaulting, but you have 10% inflation, you're now at to, up to a 12% yield. And you still might seek a 2% premium above that. So that bond needs to yield 14%. Now, bond math is a little bit more tricky this than this because the duration of when these bonds can be redeemed makes a huge difference in this capability. But if you are simply looking at a cash flow of $60 per year, that cash flow would need to drop in price from $1,000 to a price of $428 in order to now yield 14%. And that 14% is, again, 10% from inflation, 2% from default risk, and 2% premium that you're wishing to earn from your bond portfolio. So you can see that there's a 57% decline in what the price of that bond should be simply because the inflation has risen from a 2% expectation to a 10% expectation. Now, I'm not using these numbers by chance or simple randomness. In fact, I believe that a 2% inflation risk is pretty much what is expected in today's marketplace in the United States. Now, every country is different. You have much of Europe currently anticipating 0% interest rates well off into the future. You have much of Japan expecting 0% or negative interest rates well off into the future. And this has drastically affected the prices of bonds and stocks in those countries as the prices have risen to take into account this very, very low interest rate. Because when priced under most security pricing models, as interest rates decline, prices rise. And as interest rates rise, prices decline. So as an investor, your inflation risk goes beyond simply loss of purchasing power, but it also includes substantial changes in the price of the securities you're buying simply when inflation doesn't match current expectations. And this is critical because, again, if you're at a 2% inflation risk today, what happens when inflation rises to 4%? In the United States of America, 35 to 4% inflation has been about the average geometric average inflation rate over time over, let's say, the last 80, 100 years. And when you look at the data, you can say, okay, we're below the long-term average inflation rate of 4%, and we're currently around 2%. The Federal Reserve is seeking an inflation rate of about 2% a year. And that's what they consider stable prices. So it's not unreasonable to choose an assumption of 2% in your inflation calculations for valuing your companies. But it also wouldn't be unreasonable for you to manage your inflation risk by demanding a higher inflation component. So this is what I'm saying. When you're valuing valuing your stocks and bonds, and you're thinking about the individual components that go into your discount rate that you're going to use for those securities, consider using a higher inflation rate than is currently forecast by the public. Because if you do this, you're giving yourself some flexibility to reduce your inflation risk. You see, if the market 
if this phantom Mr. Market is using a 2% inflation rate, but you use a 4% inflation rate, well, you've given yourself 2% of wiggle room there that the market can rise to your four per, to the 4% point before it affects and eats into your return premium. And that's the goal here. As an investor, you need to manage inflation risk by preventing rising inflation from eating into your potential return. And if you assume, like many, that inflation is going to be low for long periods of time, you're opening yourself up to future price risk on your securities. So we've touched on two of the three key aspects of inflation risk for investors. Number one is the loss of purchasing power over time. And so investors need to invest to keep their money from losing value. Number two is that inflation assumptions are built into every single investment price in the market. Other investors are assuming certain inflation outcomes for the future, and so are you. If those expectations are not met, you should expect the prices to change accordingly. That leads us into number three, the third key inflation risk that I want to discuss today. And this risk moves from the broad macroeconomic structure to microeconomics and looking simply at a single individual company or a group of companies. You see, companies price their products and services in nominal currency. For instance, this coat that I'm looking at to buy for Christmas costs $100 US. Or it might cost 100 euros. They don't price their goods in real terms. See, notice I said nominal currency. Nominal currency is saying it's $100 or 100 euros. A real term would be something that is adjusted automatically based on inflation. So the coat, if it were to be priced in real terms, might say this coat costs four hours of labor. So it doesn't matter if that four hours of labor is done in 2019 or that four hours of labor is done in 2020 or that four hours of labor is done in 2100. It simply costs four hours of labor. So it could be in four hours of labor and then the coat next to it, which is a luxury coat, could be in eight hours of labor. And that would be an alternative seeing a $100 coat or a $200 coat. But what you'll notice when you're out shopping, and I assume you've already noticed, is that companies don't use real terms like that. They use nominal currency terms. You're going to see numbers that you're used to seeing. You're used to buying coats at $100, or maybe you're used to buying coats at $5 or $20. The key point is that those numbers are simply based on currency. And that value of that currency is changing each and every day. There are live foreign exchange markets trading between currencies all the time, determining what a a dollar is worth, how many euros is a dollar worth, how many yen is a dollar worth. And that price changes constantly. Now, that price doesn't change, hopefully, very much on any day-to-day basis. But over the course of years and decades, you'll steadily see the loss in purchasing power. What used to cost $20 now costs $100. And you just see this over time. But when we talk about individual companies, 
inflation will affect some companies different than others. So here we're really thinking in terms of stocks. Now it can also be about bonds, but really this affects the purchasing of stocks by investors more than bonds. You see, because as inflation occurs, some companies will be able to price, be able to raise their prices to match their costs. Others won't be able to. This means that Companies will generally fall into three categories in the presence of inflation. And here you can think about inflation as just normal inflation. Whatever we're going through today tends to be what people expect as normal. So if you talk about today might be inflation of 2%, people think 2% inflation is normal. Back in the 70s, inflation was in the 10% range. And so people might have thought 10% inflation was normal. But generally, Inflation can mean either normal inflation or high inflation here. So let's think about it in those terms. There's three different categories that companies will fall into. The first category, as their costs rise, the company is unable to pass on their costs to their customers. Therefore, as inflation continues over time, the company becomes less profitable. One example of this is a commodity company. If a commodity company, let's say a producer of oil, they have costs. They have to pay people. They have to pay people to go get the oil out of the ground. They have to pay people to maintain their machines. They have to purchase machines from other companies to help them get oil. They have to purchase trucks to transport that oil from one part of the country to another or from one country to another country. And all of those costs are embedded in the price that they sell to their customer. The difference is, is that they don't control the price of their product. So if their costs rise, that has no effect on their ability to raise the cost of oil that they sell to their customer. They sell at a set price based upon whatever the market determines. So this first category of companies, in the face of inflation, is likely to become less profitable over time. The second category of companies are companies that might be known to have partial or some pricing power. And what you'll see with these companies is as their costs rise, the company is able to pass on these costs to their customers. So if their costs, if they give raises to their employees of 5% each year, then they're able to raise the price of their products 5% a year so that consumers now have to pay more for them because they're matching the, the rise in their costs with the rise in the prices. Therefore, these category of companies, category two companies, can maintain their profitability in the face of inflation. If inflation goes up, they'll be able to raise their prices a little bit more. And if inflation is lower, then they don't have to raise them as much. Examples of this might be a media company, you know, one that buys and sells um, ad time on television, stuff like that. Another example of this in terms of bond speak would be a tips. In the United States, the U.S. government sells Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS. And these are bonds that are adjusted automatically with their return by inflation. So what you do when you buy a TIPS security is there's two portions of the return. There's the inflation-adjusted part of the return, so the inflation return, and there's the premium return. And as I talked about with bonds earlier, generally you have three different types of three different parts of the bond pricing. You'll have inflation return, premium return, and 
default risk? Well, the default risk is generally assumed for the United States of America to be 0%. So what you'll see with tips is they're going to only have two pricing components. They're going to have the inflation, which won't be seen at all because the government will automatically give you whatever the inflation rate is each year and add that to the money that you're given. And the premium. And that premium in current days is going to be fairly low because the expectation is that inflation is going to be fairly low in the future. And there's a lot of competition to purchase these treasury inflation protected securities. But it's a comparable way of thinking about these category two companies where companies are able to pass on rising costs to their customers. And that leaves us with category three companies. And category three companies are companies where as their costs rise, the company is able to raise their prices at a rate faster than inflation. So for instance, again, if company is giving their, if company C here, company three is giving 5% annual raises to their employees, maybe they're able to raise their prices at 10% a year. So not only are they passing on these 5% rises in costs, they're also passing on an additional 5% increase in profit. Therefore, the company can become more profitable during periods of inflation. Sometimes these companies are known as defensive companies, high-quality companies, blue-chip companies. Some examples include, let's say, tobacco companies. The price of tobacco, the price of cigarettes, the costs embedded in that are not rising very quickly each year. They're not rising that fast. It doesn't cost that much more money to produce cigarettes every year, but you will often see the price of cigarettes go up 5-10% a year because the company is able to pass on those costs to the customer and the customer will pay it. Another example might be NACO, which I've talked about before on the podcast, where they have inflation-adjusted contracts. They're able to pass, actually, NACO is probably a better example of category two. Um, yeah, NACO is probably a better example of category two, but they have inflation adjusted contacts, contracts that automatically adjust over time to pay out a sale price that's higher than their costs. And so as their costs rise, their sale prices go up. So, What I'm trying to get at here is that the category one and two companies are much more common. You're going to very often find companies that as their costs rise, they're going to become less profitable or they're simply be able to maintain their profitability. Yet there are some companies out there, these category three companies, that can actually improve their profitability during periods of high inflation. Oh, I know a good good example here would be banks. So banks do much better during periods of high inflation because they're able to charge a bigger distribution in their net interest margin than the current low inflation time period. So tobacco companies and banks are two good examples. Um, It will depend, of course, on the bank, depend upon the company, of what a Category 3 company might look at. So then how do we manage this third aspect of inflation risk? Well, you could use the opportunity of during periods of low inflation to find and invest in the companies that can thrive in 
high inflation periods. Not simply survive, but thrive. And one of the areas where I've found a lot of opportunity recently are banks. Because what I'm seeing is that many banks are priced at price-to-earnings ratios below 10. And that offers a nice entry point in large part because the inflation has been so low lately that the loan rates they're able to demand are so low. This is a risk, certainly, for investors choosing to take that on because inflation could always go lower and you could have the prices adjust accordingly. But banks tend to be very interest rate sensitive, which means they're very inflation rate sensitive. Well, being inflation rate sensitive can be helpful because when you pay a low price for something as it's currently performing, you should do fine if the status doesn't change. So if we continue to have low inflation, you should do fine as long as you make a key good purchase. But you should do even better than other investors and you should have a level of outperformance if circumstances change and they have not categorized their investments accordingly. So you can manage inflation risk by, in times of high inflation, being aware that low inflation may return in the future. And you can sometimes lock in high rates of return on low-risk investments when others only anticipate ever lower, ever higher inflation into the future. And so one example of that would be in the 70s, you could have locked in 30-year U.S. government bonds that exceeded a 10% return, sometimes over exceeded a 15% return, and that would be fairly risk-free for a very long period of time as inflation rates declined, you would have seen a very safe high yield. Contrary, in times of low inflation like today, don't forget that high inflation is always a possibility. Position yourself to own companies that can thrive in both low and high inflation. Don't simply latch onto those companies that only thrive in low inflation environments. Those companies are going to be the ones that tend to get a lot of attention during times like today. But they're also the ones that are most set up for failure if times change. Now notice, pricing power is critical to successful investing, and you would have heard about that a lot if you listened to my last episode, episode 54, where I discussed quality of investment by the quality of the business. Well, the quality businesses tend to be very much like these category three businesses that have the pricing power and can grow faster than their costs. This is just an additional aspect of why finding these companies can help you not only manage to increase your margin of safety, but they also help you manage your inflation risk and help you avoid a loss of purchasing power. In summary, your goal as an investor is to earn an acceptable return on your investment capital over your investing lifetime. The very minimum must be to at least earn a return that exceeds the rate of inflation. Ideally, you'll earn a risk premium above inflation. In today's investing environment, low inflation is the accepted norm, and many predict low inflation far into the future. Perhaps one of your biggest opportunities is to therefore find and invest in the subset of companies that will thrive when high inflation returns. Not to survive, but thrive. When the rest of the market gets hammered, your investments would be relatively safe. 
Thank you for listening to today's show. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 55. Finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you've gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. You can become a premium member of the DIY Investing Podcast at diyinvesting.org slash p-a-t-r-o-n. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investment content without any advertisements. Premium members get access to exclusive insights into my personal investing process through the DIYinvesting.org membership program. If you're not interested in becoming a premium member but still want to support the show, please like and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube and leave this show a rating and review. I would really appreciate a five-star review and your quick and easy response there will help me grow the podcast and I would really appreciate it. Thank you for listening and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.